How many of you like a good mystery? You know what I'm talking about, like a good mystery, whether it's a, a game like Clue, a TV show like, uh, how many like uh, Mr. Monk? Like, you know, uh, you know, Monk would have done really well in the COVID-19 era uh, because uh, he probably would have never gotten it because he wouldn't have gotten close enough to anybody and then he would have, uh, you know, constantly hand sanitizing. Uh, wipe, yeah, wipe, 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 if you've seen Monk. Or Mur Murder, She Wrote, any of the uh, Murder, She Wrote. Uh, or, you know, how many of you like curling up with your big comfy blanket and you watch a, a good Hallmark movies and mysteries? Okay, yeah, Sasha and Tisha, that, 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 those two. There's something about a mystery that's captivating, the plot that draws you in, that keeps you on the edge of your seat to the very end. You never know how it's going to turn out. You can hardly put a, a good mystery book down. Uh, that is how we tend to think about mysteries. It's, it's the whodunit. It's the puzzle. It's the problem to solve. It's something for humans to discover by their own ingenuity. And to some degree, that description is the way the people, people in the Greco-Roman world thought of mystery. The word was well known to the people uh, involved in the mystery religions of the time. For them, religious truths such as the secret of the ages or the mystery of the cosmos was available only to just a, a select few who had been initiated into the deep things of their particular religion. They had to work hard to achieve this level of knowledge. And so part of having a solid infrastructure as believers, is having the knowledge to build your life off of. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul describes this knowledge as a mystery. Paul uses the term, uh, however, in a different way than we are accustomed to using the term mystery. He used the word mystery as someone that had a Jewish background uh, would understand it or would use it. The Jewish view was that mystery was a truth once hidden, but now that was made known. It was something incredible, but true. It was a truth made known by revelation. It, it could not be uncovered by human effort or by ingenuity. It was an open secret. Paul declares that God himself had revealed the mystery in Christ, and now it was to be proclaimed to all nations of all peoples of the world. So today we're continuing our series, Infrastructure, and we're looking in this series at the first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and today we're looking at what I'm calling the mystery revealed. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles... Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. 
Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. In verse 1, Paul starts a thought and then pauses to explain the mysterious plan of God. The rest of the passage then is Paul's explanation. Next week we will look at the passage starting with verse 14 that will explain what Paul was really trying to say when he started out in verse 1. But for today, I want you to see what he kind of took a little bit of a rabbit trail to talk about the mystery. And the first thing I want you to see is that Paul identifies himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He identified himself. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles... So one of the things that kind of distinguishes Ephesians as well as Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from some of the other letters, or uh, as as we're called, we call them epistles that uh, Paul wrote, is how he referred to himself as a prisoner or being in bonds or in chains. It is believed that Paul wrote this letter while he was a prisoner. And so there's two lessons that we can learn from Paul's imprisonment. The first is this, is that Paul's suffering clothed him with authority. Paul's suffering clothed him with authority. When you go through something firsthand, it gives you credibility. Think about that. It gives you credibility. When you go through something, it gives you, you know, people, let me, let me help us out this morning. Don't ever say, I know what you're going through. Okay, well, I, I, even if you went through exactly, uh, you know, the same thing, you don't know what that person is feeling. You never do, because everybody handles things a, a different. So, can we all raise our right hand and say, "I will never say I know I, I know what you're going through ever again"? Okay, because that doesn't help. Okay, and then telling your story. Okay, I was in a hospital room one time with a with a seasoned pastor. Okay. And, and this pastor began to tell a story about the, like the uh, surgery that he had had, and it didn't turn out well. That's not helpful. I'm just sorry. When somebody's sitting there about to be cut on, and you tell them how, you're, how like, your, your, your thing didn't work out or your uh, aunt died because of that, that doesn't help anybody. Just leave that story for a later date and say, hey, well, I'm so glad you came through because my aunt didn't make it. You know, I mean, that's okay later on. But there's something that when you have walked through something, it does give you a little of credibility for people to seek you out then. Tell me how you went through this. Tell me how you got through this. Tell me how you dealt with this. When you've walked through a trial, others take notice. And guess what they'll do? They'll seek you out. 
They'll ask you questions when they're going through a similar circumstance. Paul was in prison because he was passionate and he was zealous to reach the Gentiles and the Jews had had him thrown in prison. His suffering for them and for his belief gave him the authority to communicate truth to the Gentiles. He was like, listen, I'm in prison because I've been trying to give you this mystery here and I'm just letting you know that this is what I'm walking through. There was a level of authority. The second thing there was that Paul's in prison was being used by God in the fulfillment of his purpose. Did you know that Paul described himself as a not a prisoner of the jail cell, not a prisoner of whatever prison that he was in or whatever jail he was in or whatever authority had put them in prison? He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The reason he was in prisoner was for the benefit of the Gentiles. He was suffering so that others might hear the message. Think about the writings that came out of his prison experience. Several of these New Testament letters where we take so much of our faith, so much of our infrastructure, if you will, and our doctrine were written while Paul was in prison, while he was in chains, while he was being jailed. So does this mean that God causes the pain, that God causes the chaos, that God causes the confusion, that God causes the suffering? No. Not at all. But guess what he doesn't? He uses the events of our life to accomplish his purposes. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So if Paul can be used by God in the midst of a prison to write much of our doctrine and our doctrinal foundations through the word of God many years ago, if Paul can be used like that, then how can God use our circumstance that we walk through to help others? Yes. The second thing that Paul identifies, though, is his special gift. Everybody say gift. Verse 2, assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. The King James refers to this as the dispensation of the grace of God. The word assuming here is translated other places as you may have heard. You may have heard that God had done this. Paul's reputation had preceded him, and the Ephesian church would have known this because of the personal relationship that they had had with him. So this gives us a clue that this letter, although addressed to the Ephesians, was really also intended not to be read just by the the Ephesian church, but it was to be read by the other churches as well. So what would happen a lot of times is they would share these letters around and let, you know, if even though he wrote this to Ephesus, it may go to another church or another group of people. And so he was letting them know what he was going through. He, he, had, he intended this letter to be read by others who, would have not, who, who may have not have known Paul personally, but only his reputation. So this dispensation of the grace that Paul is referring to is not the grace of God that we think. It's not the amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved the wretch like me. It's not the grace that pardons sin. But this is a singular favor. When I'm talking about favor, I'm talking about blessing that was granted to Paul. The New Living Translation uh, better translates this as responsibility. It was a spiritual gift that Paul had to be able to share the message of hope with the Gentiles. It was his special gift, if you will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. 
but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So there's different gifts. There's people who have different talents and different abilities. There's different people. Just today in this church alone, we have people that are using their gifts. Sue used her gift of hospitality this morning to make a welcoming environment. When we walked in this morning with coffee and with donuts, Tisha used her gift of music this morning to lead us into worship this morning. There was discernment that took place in the church today. There was words of knowledge that took place in this church today where we we said that there's somebody here that's dealing with this and dealing with that, and there were people that responded to that. It not only responded here, but they responded through our online. We received a text of somebody whose heart was touched already this morning. And so what I want you to understand is, is that God is moving and he has special gifts that are in operation for the church. And so that we then submit our gifts to him and we're part of that infrastructure. We have a special gift that God gives that we're to build our lives off of. It's part of our individual infrastructure as believers. You know what? I'm not Furtick. I'm not Osteen. I'm not Parsley. I'm not any of these other pastors that are out there. I'm Rusty Posey, and I'm just trying to be the best Rusty Posey that I can be because, listen, there only needs to be one. Come on, that was a good place for an amen right there. <laughs> there, there can only be one me. And here's the reality. God created me for a purpose. And guess what? There can only be one you. Everybody say amen on that too. Because here's the reality. God made you. God made you in a way that he equipped you and gifted you so that you could use your gifts where you go. It's a part of the infrastructure of your life. So moving on, Paul identifies, write this in your notes, the mystery. Verse 3, he says, As I briefly wrote earlier, God revealed his mysterious plan to me. Revelation comes in two different ways, primarily in two different ways. The first is, write this down, prophetic inspiration. This is where God breaks into our lives and speaks to us in a direct way. Paul had this happen at his conversion experience. He described it in Galatians 1.11. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So on the Damascus Road, if you go back and look in, the, in Acts, you see that Damascus Road experience where Paul, he was just riding you know, down the street and all of a sudden you know, a light shone from heaven and, and Jesus began to talk to him directly and, and began to t- let him know straight up by prophetic inspiration what was going on in his life. The second way that we get revelation is by the scripture. The Bible is our guidebook for living. It's, it's got to be what our infrastructure is based on. Philipp, Paul illustrated this in Ephesians 5. He said, as the scriptures say, talking about marriage, talking about uh, relationships, in verse 31, he says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He said, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So what he was doing is he's saying, listen, this is, this is what the scripture says. 
This is what the scriptures say. So when somebody comes to me with, with, with an issue, with a problem or something, I always want to go back to what the scriptures say. And if you don't know what the scriptures say, then you look for the principles in the scripture. So I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, he says when you don't know what God, what the word of God says, then you ask yourself this, what is the wise thing to do? Because the scripture teaches us to, to uh, live as those who are wise, not as those who are unwise. Ephesians 5.15, right? We'll probably look at that a little bit later on. But that's a, a scripture that we, so what is the wise thing to do? When scripture's not clear, when it doesn't give a clear answer, we go back and we look at the principles then that are in the scripture to see if, if, if our answer lines up with scripture. So what Paul was doing in verse 31, he was showing that revelation comes from scripture. In verse 32, he describes it again as a mystery. And this mystery then was revealed by scripture. So it's important to note that God will never give you prophetic inspiration that is contrary to his word. Over years, I've had people use the phrase, God, God told me. You know, you can't argue with God told me. You can't. If somebody comes to me and says, God, well, you know, Pastor God told me to go leave the church and, and go somewhere else, I can't argue with that. Why? Because, you know, I, I'm trusting that, that you're listening to the Lord and you're listening to the Holy Spirit. Well, God told me to give this and God told me not to give. And, you know, listen. But here's the reality what I can't argue with is when you say God told me and it doesn't line up with Scripture then I, I can simply say, where, does that, where is that in the Word of God? Show me that where, where that lines up in the Word of God. And if you can't, then guess what? God didn't tell you that. It was the pizza that you ate last night. <laughs> because God will never tell you to do something that is contrary to His Word. Why? Because He is the Word. He is Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... God, John 1, 1, and then the word became flesh, and that was Jesus, and he dwelt among them. And listen, God is not going to tell you something. He does not contradict himself. He, he is who he is, and his word is truth, and his truth does not change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what is the mystery that he is referring to then in Ephesians 3, 3? Let's keep, keep reading. Verse 4, as you read what I've written... You will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. So the mystery then is that the Gentiles had an inheritance just like the Jews had. We are one. There's no Jew or Gentile in the body of Christ. Guess what? We're all just children of God. We are one. It's what we talked about last week. We're one nation. We're one family. We are one temple that is serving the Lord that has come together for such a time as this to be the body of Christ and the children of God, heirs of the Father, join heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. Another thing that Paul identifies himself with is he identifies, write this down, with humility. Everybody say humility. humility. Verse 8, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. 
Now, this is a, a stark contrast to the verses of 4 and 5 where he says, As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his Spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. One translation used the phrase, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. This could kind of then be construed as arrogance or being bipolar. He was proud, then he was humble. But there was a holy confidence that Paul had that was born out of his own humility. One commentator wrote this. He said, confidence and humility is the rhythm. A confidence born not out of grandiose thoughts about our own gifts and talents, which makes for arrogance, self, arrogant self-confidence, but confidence that God has gifted us and will gift us with all the grace needed for masterful living. Humility is not the opposite of that kind of confidence, but the other side of the same coin. We know our gifts, but we also know our limitations. And we know that God, that as God has gifted us, he will also make up for our limitations. In either case, we will not claim the power is intrinsically ours, nor will we take the glory. All is by the effective working of his power. So what is he saying? We can have confidence because we understand that God created us to do a certain thing. I can be confident in understanding that God created me right now at this time in this season of my life to be the pastor of Hope Family Fellowship, to be a, to be a husband to Sasha, to be a father to Maddie and Kenzie, and that God has created me for this purpose. But I also know my limitations. I also know that my weaknesses. And so the humility then is that I'm confident in who God made me to be, but I'm also humble enough to realize that even though he's gifted me and he's given me strengths and gifts, that I need other people around me to make me better because I don't have everything. I don't have all the gifts. I'm just one person. So guess what? I need Pastor Ben, and I need Pastor Zach, and I need the board of directors, and I need our leadership team that can come alongside me and can fill in the gaps in my own life. And so guess what? There's a humility that is born out of the understanding of who God made me to be. It's the same coin, different sides. There's a confidence in who God made me to be, but there's also a humility in knowing that I can't do it alone. So our infrastructure then is not built on pride, but it's built on our humility and our need for God. See, in my weakness, he's made strong. Let me say that again. In our weakness, he's made strong. We need him. And even though he's gifted us, and even though we could, listen, I've seen, I've seen people take and have such pride in their gifts that they're blinded to their weaknesses. And listen, we have to have a realistic view of who God has made us to be. And that's where humility is born out of that we need God and we need other people in our life to make up the gaps that we have. Well, I could spend a whole service on that, but I won't. Let's move on. Paul also identifies then now, write this down, our mission. Look at verse 9. He says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church 
to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Look at verse 10 again. He says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display. As Paul was the mouthpiece of the mystery during the time of the early church, we are to be the voice to display the mystery to our world. This is our mission. We say it around here like this. We're to love God, love people, and we're to give hope. That's why we want to be a place of hope. We want to be a place of hope for the lost, the broken, the hurting, the need healing. This is our mission. This is our purpose. We have opportunities to do that coming up, that we can be the voice, that we can be his hands extended if you will. On July 30th, we're going to provide inflatables and connect with people at the back-to-school fair that can't help us sponsoring at the Civic Center. You say, Pastor, how is that going to be telling people about the mystery of Jesus Christ? Because here's the thing. The inflatable is just the open door to connect with people. And before we can ever tell them about it, we've got to connect with them. They've got to know that there is a church out here that, that loves them and cares about them. And so we're going to be hanging out there, letting their kids have inflatables. We'll have something that we can put in their hand and invite them to church. But that's just going to be a way to connect with them. You know, one of the things, if you've been around here long enough, you know that we have a heart for foster families and foster foster. Foster care kids and, and those kids that have come through that. And that's something that, that we've tried and we've, we've worked and we've done different things. And, you know, f- frankly, some of the things we've done have worked well and some have not worked as well. And, and so what we, what we, through this transition process, uh, I, I don't know that we've made a formal announcement, but we had a resource room upstairs. And we realized that, that people weren't using the resource room right, like they should. So there's a great ministry in our county called Journey Road Ministries. They're, they took the old girls home out at, in Como Picton, and, uh, and, and they uh, have foster families that are living there. And so Pastor Ben and I loaded all that stuff up after Chris and her team had, had come together and packed it up for us, and we took it out there to their resource room that was amazing. I mean, amazing. And we were able to take all of our stuff and put it out there and actually get it into the hands of people that were going to use it. And so you say, well, Pastor, do we not care about foster families anymore? No, we're just changing the method. So now I've told them, look, if you need something, let us know, and we'll, we'll figure out how we can get it to you. So you're going to be the front line. We're going to be the supplier. How many think that's a good idea? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And, and so one of the other things we said is if you need anything, you let us know. So a few weeks ago they said, hey, you'd mentioned inflatables sometime. Guess what? we got a back-to-school fair coming up on August the 7th. Would you come out and set up the inflatables and, and just meet our fat foster families and all the foster families in the area? And I was thinking, man, that's something that we prayed for, that we wanted to be able to help foster families and foster kids. So guess what? On August the 7th we're going to go out, we're going to set up the inflatables, and we're going to connect with all the foster families and foster care kids that are at that back-to-school fair. Isn't that awesome? Oh, y'all aren't as excited about it as I am. Isn't that awesome? Yes, because it's something that we've prayed for and we've wanted to do. And this is a part of our 
mission. So we need teams of people that will go to with us on both of those outreaches. If you want to help, you can go to connectedhope.com, fill out the connection card. There's a place for you to check out and say, I can help either on this day or on those days. And listen, while those are limited one-time outreaches, we're going to have an entire month coming up where our whole focus is on those that are outside the church. In the month of September this year, every church that's a part of the Hopkins County Christian Alliance, and we've invited others in the area to be a part of this, have come together and we're, we're doing an initiative where how many know that it's time for people to begin to, to come back and feel comfortable coming back to the house of God, right? So, the, But there are a lot of people that don't come they don't go to church anywhere. They didn't go to church anywhere in 2016. They didn't go to church anywhere in 2014. They didn't go in, in 18. Or maybe they did, and they just dropped out of church altogether. They're not tuning in online. They're not being a part of an online campus. They're not doing that. But listen, it's time for them to come back. So guess what we, we're doing? We're doing an initiative called Try Church. Simple. You're going to see. You're going to see the yard signs out. You're all going to have yard signs that you can put in your yard. That's going to say Tri Church. We're going to have uh, cards that are made that are going to say Tri Church on one side, and then we're going to stamp our information on the other side, so that when you hand it to your uh, friend and you say, "Hey, will you Tri Church?" There's going to be several billboards in town that just say Tri Church on them, and not not point to a. a particular church. We're going to have a website that people can go to, and our church information will be on there with a lot of other churches in, in the community. Why? Because we want people to try church. Amen. Because I'm just uh, crazy enough to believe that we're, we're awesome. You guys are awesome. And I think that if people actually try church, that they might like it. You know, it's like the magic scoop. Today's National Ice Cream Day, by the way. Thank you, Christine, for pointing that out on my Facebook, and I saw that in there and tagging me in that. It's National Ice Cream Day, so go buy Magic Scoop today. And uh, Aliana works there, but not on Sundays, and so does Pastor Zach. He works there some, but not on Sundays. But you can go by there and, and order, uh, order ice cream today. But listen, I love ice cream, right? I love ice cream. Come on, somebody. Ice cream is great. And if you try, the, I believe if you try the Magic Scoop, you like it. Why? Because they have good ice cream. But I also equally as greater think that if you try Hope Family Fellowship, that you will actually like it. Why? Because I think the people of this church are pretty awesome and pretty great. And I think that this is a great place to worship. And I think if we can just get people into the door of a church, not just Hope Family Fellowship, but of another local church, that they might actually like connecting with people and think that Christians aren't just these weird people that are having a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, but they're real people doing real life, serving a real God who's able to meet their real needs. Come on, somebody. That's good news today. And so it's, and we're going to try. We're going we're gonna to focus on trying church. We have to build our Christian lives on the fact that we have a mission. We have a purpose. If, if you watched any of the Marvel movies or the Disney Plus series Loki, you'll know the quote and the catchphrase of, of Loki. And, and it's this. He says, I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. There's something about that, that thought of being burdened with purpose. Being a burden. And, and his glory, if you watch the shows, and if not, I'm going to run it for you real quick, so it's okay. His glorious purpose is mischief. That's who he is. He's a mischievous guy. Our glorious purpose is different. It's missional. It's missional. We have a glorious purpose that we should be burdened with. And there's two ways that you can look at a burden. One is, oh, I've got this burden. Oh, 
this heavy load. I've got this burden, and I've just got to carry this burden of reaching the lost. Oh, these sinners, man, they're always sinning. They're good at it, too. But the second is we can look at it as our glorious purpose. It's our responsibility. Because why? Because we care about people so much that we don't want to see them die and go to hell. And it's not a heavy load that we have to carry. It's a burden that we get to carry. Why? Because we want to see lives transformed. We want to see the message of hope taken to Sulphur Springs and Hopkins County and the surrounding areas. Why? Because we want to see people give their life to Jesus Christ. We want to see people baptized in water. We want to see people get plugged into our community groups. Why? So that they can grow in their faith in God. So that they can in turn reach somebody who gets saved, who gets baptized, who then becomes a part of the local church and the body of Christ is built up. Why? Because we have this burden that we can't sleep, we can't eat without thinking about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something inside of us. Telling others about Jesus has to be our purpose. It has to be our glorious purpose, if you will. I love how Ephesians 3, 8 through 10 is paraphrased in the message. It says, and so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. And through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. We're to make Jesus famous. We're to make him known. And we're to reveal this mystery to everyone around us. That's part of who we are. That's part of our infrastructure. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It guides us, it corrects us, it shapes us, it molds us. And I thank you for your word today. And I pray, God, that you would would let this word come alive in our hearts and our spirits today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, if you're away from the Lord today, let, let let me encourage you today is the day of salvation for you. Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages or the payment of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Pastor, how do I receive that today? It's very simple. It's grace. It's God's grace. It's a gift. You don't earn it. There's nothing you could do to earn it. It's a free gift. Scripture teaches us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So if you're here this morning, you're tuned in online, in a moment I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to join me in praying this prayer and repeating it after me. And I believe that if you'll repeat this prayer after me, and you'll mean it in your heart, that you will be saved. Come on, church, would you pray along with those today that or making this commitment for the first time, or rededicating their lives to the Lord, would you say, Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. 
I believe you're the Son of God. That you died, rose again. You're the Lord of all. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, would you put your hands together today and give God praise. I love this song that we're about to sing, and Tish is going to lead us in this morning. And here's what I'm going to ask you. Here's a response today. Are you burdened with purpose? Are you burdened with sharing the mystery, revealing the mystery to those that don't have it? As we sing this song today, I'm going to ask you to ask this dangerous question. God, who do you want me to reach this week? Who do you want me to invite to church? Who do you want me to impact their life this week? Don't don't put it off. And then pray, God, would you give me an opportunity? Because I believe that God wants to use us. He's just waiting for people that will be open to be used by him. Father, thank you today. Come on, would you make that prayer? Father, would you lay some soul on our heart and then love that soul through us, God? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship the Lord together. And I search the world. Treasures of faith are never enough. And you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's
nothing better than you. God, we pray that you would use us to reveal the mystery. God, that we would build our life on this glorious purpose, bringing hope to a lost and a dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For our friends online today, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope to see you soon if you can, if you live in the area. We, I know we have many that tune in from around uh, the state and nation, really. And, and uh, thank you for tuning in online as well. And hope that if you ever make it to Silver Springs, you'll be a part of our in-person as well.